the reading of of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he says, here I am. And he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with your donkeys. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the uh, the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, I see. And he said, I am here, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb of offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built an an altar there, and he laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him, a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord.
you want, go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. We'll be starting there and then turning a couple pages over to Genesis 22. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 12, and while you're doing that, we'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we long to see your beauty. That's why we're here, God. We want to see the beauty of you, our true King. And we come to you in faith and absolute trust that you will make this happen. So God, during this time of worship and coming to you in your word, we just ask that you would show us your beauty. God, take away everything else and let us behold your beauty. Amen. Amen. A bale of cloth arrived in the small village of Aim in 1665. Big deal, right? Well, it came from London while there was a little disease going on. And the tailor who was there in the village of Aim, George Vickers, he opened up the bale and it was it's in the fall, so it's, it's raining and he's going to warm it up by the fire. As he does so, he opens up the Black Plague into this village. Within several weeks, this tailor, George Vickers, is the first one to die on September 7th, 1665, of a horrible and agonizing death. And then the rest of the village, half of it, succumbs to this horrible death. And the, the letters written by the, uh, the rector of the village, the pastor there in town, um, William Mompesson, he writes that there was the smell of, quote, of death and sadness in the air. Elizabeth Hancock, who was uh, married, husband, six children, lived on the edge of the village, she had one of her children become ill, and then another, then another, and she buried one, two, three, four, five, six of her own children and her husband in the span of eight days. There was no one there to help her. She had to drag the bodies out of their home, dig the grave, and buried them on the edge of the field of their farm. But what makes this story so unique? What makes it stand out amongst all of history? Unfortunately, since the fall, plague, disease, famine, it's part of life. What makes it stand out is that when the plague began to roll through in the fall of 1665, they had a decision to make as a village. What are they going to do? How are they going to react? Should they flee and try to save their families? Or should they stay? They decided to stay. Knowing that if they left, if they fled this village, that they could, they might save their own lives, but they would contaminate the villages and surrounding countryside around them. So they decided to stay. A decision that was most certain, certainly the decision to die. And in doing so, Through their sacrifice, they saved a multitude. Thousands of people were saved through their sacrifice. 
So as we turn to our text this morning, we're going to see that salvation and redemption comes. But how does it come? Well, it comes through the sacrifice of another. That's how salvation and redemption come. So when we're looking at Genesis chapter 12, what we're going to be seeing here is that redemption is going to come through a man. A particular man is how redemption is going to come through. And then we're going to keep turning a couple pages and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 23 or 22 and we're going to see that redemption is going to come through a man. Wonderful. But it's also going to, going to come through sacrifice as well. So right, right now we're in the beginning parts of this new series when we're going to be looking over the, the whole Bible in about the next year, year and a half. And we're just going to be going mountaintop by mountaintop, giving giving an overview of the, the beauty of the Bible and how all things are pointing to Christ and how all things under heaven and earth are being united in Christ. And so you go through these first 11 chapters and they're mostly focused around events. You have the creation, the fall, you have the, the flood, and then you have the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, it's um, quite interesting. You read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you go, why did Moses even add this? You know, Was it so precious just to understand where, the, where we got all of our different languages? Is that what's going on? Well, let's understand it in context here. And this kind of leads us into, starting in chapter 12, going onward. It's not just so much event-focused, but then it's going to be person-focused. So what's going on with this Tower of Babel, this last event before Moses makes the switch to Abraham? Well, if you want to remember it in its context, remember that the Garden of Eden is not in the valley. The Garden of Eden is on a mountain. Ezekiel writes in 28 that Eden is on the holy mountain of God. Eden has a river flowing out of it. doesn't have any rivers flowing into it. It has a river, one river flowing out of it that breaks into four rivers, giving you the picture that all of the life, all of the earth is being watered from this mountain is the beautiful imagery conveyed. And what are they going to do is that they take these bricks And they do what you and I do. They're trying to reconstruct their way back up the mountain. They're trying to ascend back up the hill. It sounds foolish, doesn't it? When you think, oh, you're not going to build a building up to God. I mean, that sounds foolish, but just take inventory of your own life. When you ask yourself, Am I close to God? You immediately you begin thinking about good or bad things you've done over the last week. How rarely does our mind just turn to Christ when we when you're asked, "Are you close with God?" So rarely do we be, do we turn and think of Christ. No, so we fall into the same trap of trying to build our way back up to God. They have the Tower of Babel. God comes down and tears it down, and so you get. The way back to God is not that we need to walk up the mountain. The way back to God is that we need someone to come down and to walk up the mountain for us. And this is what you begin to see unfolding. You see the further corruption going from the flood and the Tower of Babylon. You're going, God, is it going to happen? 
Where is this the seed of the woman that we were so that we were promised? When is this going to happen? And then it does. It comes forth with again the word of the Lord coming out. Let's go back to the text. Chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, he's not yet Abraham, he's Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here again is the Lord speaking as if it's almost a new creation going on, a new story going on. It just says God spoke and there was land that came separated out of the, of the waters and you have God spoke and the waters were separated from above and below here again. Now you have God speaking and now you have Abram coming and he's being separated out. Out from his people, out from his land. And what was so special about him? Absolutely nothing. You see in Judges, or, uh, Joshua chapter 24, he was a pagan idolater. It's not as though he, he cleaned himself up, he sobered himself up, and then was able to come to church and hear the voice of the Lord. No, God came to him right where he was and spoke. So, just an aside, don't, don't rob God of his glory, trying to fix yourself up, clean yourself up before you come to him. Just let him come to you right where you are. In the midst of all your sin. He sees it anyways. Let him deal with it. So God tells him. Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now this, this is absolutely astounding. Do you catch that? He doesn't even tell him where are you going to go. Try... <laughs> Try doing this with your wife. You pack the kids up and say, where are we going? I don't know. We're going to go. We're going to go on vacation. Where are we going? I don't know. Just relax. We'll get there when we get there. But I don't know where we're going. Same thing. Come in there, Abram. Go. Not just leaving your land. That's bad enough. But you're leaving your people. And in a time in which they don't have police, they don't have anything like that, you're, you're pink. this is your only safety net. Are the people around you, your family and your kindred, you're vulnerable to go out by yourself. You're, you're like a, a little gazelle away from the pack. You're just waiting to be slaughtered. This is what he's called to do. Leave your land, leave your people. Not only that, you've been called to leave your family. And he goes. And he walks by faith to this land that God has promised him, but which has not yet been seen. Now go to verse 2 here. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless those, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the first thing that strikes you is, wow, this is a lot of blessing going on here. Right? You can hardly get it out of your mouth here. And it's five times in this text. 
Not surprisingly, how many times do you see curse? Chapters 1 through 11. You see it five times. It says, though God is saying, I'm going to begin to undo everything that's been cursed. All of the land that has been cursed. Cain, who has been cursed from the ground. The naming of Noah, even in that instance, they're recalling the cursedness of the ground. And then also the cursing of Canaan. It's as though in these, in these verses here, you're beginning to see that all of the death and the destruction, all the famine and all the plagues are going to be undone. That the blessing will become coming. And that's going to come in several different ways. You're going to have land and seed, children, and this blessing. Land, it says, go to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. There's children of his seed. I will make of you a great nation and I will make your name great. And then obviously the blessing here says, and you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, sounds fantastic. How does this happen? Well, Abram, Abraham at this point kept wandering, kept wandering. And he didn't have any of his own land. He died a sojourner and stranger. He left the land. He went down to Egypt. He came back. He didn't possess the land. He owned a little bit, just enough to bury his wife, Sarah, Sarah. So he didn't actually own the land. So how does this come true? Well, it comes true through God. Hebrews 11 says that by faith he went up into the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. This promise of the land, is that what they were looking forward? No, the author of Hebrews writes, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. All of these blessings, all of these promises didn't even come true in his life. And how long do we get frustrated with God because, oh, I prayed this week and nothing fantastic happened. These promises of God didn't come true even in his lifetime. Well, what about his... They have the land. What about the seed, the children? He only had one son with Sarah. One son. Paul writes in Galatians 3 that now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say offsprings, meaning a multitude, referring to many, but referring to one. And your offspring. Who is Christ? All of this, brothers and sisters, I hope you see. All of this is pointing to Christ. The true inheritance of the people of God is in Christ. The true land is a city built whose foundation is built upon God. That comes true in Christ. Well, how is this going to be? How is this one son going to be a blessing for the whole family throughout the whole earth? Well, also in Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 8, it writes, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram. Do you see what Paul's saying? That this is the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel. That Christ is going to come and redeem His people. That through Him, all of the nations will be blessed. Well, how is that going to happen? 
In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. His right standing with God was the fact that he believed in God. And so all of us are adopted into this family through faith and through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the redemption of all the world. So you see, the redemption is going to come. The curse is going to be undone, but it's going to be undone through a man. You see this pagan idolater called out of the land of Ur from the line of Shem. Go. And in faith, in faith, he walks. Many of you have seen this call to leave everything and to follow Jesus. But being honest, you haven't. You want to enjoy some of the old world. You want to enjoy some of the old family, some of the whatever it might be. But you go. Go and walk in faith to follow Christ. So here again in Genesis chapter 12, we see that redemption is going to come and it's going to come through a man. That man, not surprisingly, is Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see how this salvation that is going to come for everyone, all of the families of the earth who believe through faith, how is that going to come? Well, it's going to come through sacrifice. So in Genesis chapter 22, if you want to turn this, turn there. After these things... Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Now, this, this story gets a lot of bad press, basically, but let's frame it correctly. It's a test. Moses makes that very clear right off the bat. God tested Abraham. Christopher Hitchens, a, a famous atheist of this last century, who's ironically has passed away, so he's no longer an atheist. He does believe in God. Not in a good way, but he does. He said regarding, regarding these verses in, in this, this story of Abraham offering Isaac up, He said, religions that say you should admire a man who was willing to sacrifice their son for God have no claim on ethics, let alone morality. But he misses the point. It's a test. It was a test that the intent was never to sacrifice Isaac, but the intent was to test the faith of Abraham. So he calls him, and you see it kind of escalating up. Your son, your only son, whom you love. It's like in Hebrew, it's just this way of just driving it deeper and deeper and deeper, this stake into his heart. And here you go, with the word of God, Abraham is taking off the land again. Does he know? No! He might know the region of Moriah. He might be in the right region. Then in verse 4, on the third day, 
Let's read and understand. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And they were traveling in this region of Moriah. And they come to this, this specific place that we're called. And some of us, we want this, this, our approach is that we want to climb the mountain. We want to be up in the mountain, don't we? But we don't even take these small steps to even get in the right region. We're, we're not even there. We're not taking the small steps to get in this, this region where God would have us to be so that we can climb the mountain. We just want to be on top of the mountain. No, take these small steps. When God tells you to go, just go. Did you remember where David, at the end of his reign, he has, he takes a census and he's given several options of famine or being invaded or, or pestilence coming. And he buys a place to sacrifice and to worship. He buys it. And Solomon inherits this, and this is the place where they build the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 3 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in the Jerusalem. Where? On Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David his father, the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. This is the very place. You see the connection that's going on here. The very place... Where Abraham is calling and sees off from afar and goes there. You have the Kidron Valley, the Hidron Valley. It's, you can't miss it. It's right there. Is the very place where he builds this altar to sacrifice Isaac. Is the very place where they build the temple to continue their sacrifices before God. And notice the faith of Abraham. It's already being displayed. There's the two men with him. One on his right, one on his left. And he tells them, you two stay here. We are going to go. We are going to worship. And we are going to come back to you. Verse 6, And then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took this, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife and then they went on together. And here you have the only begotten son carrying the wood for sacrifice up this mountain. And you begin to get the sense here. They're going for several days, going together, and you begin to get the sense that the faith of Abraham is now becoming the faith of Isaac as well. Going along for three days, talking about this. God, Father, what's what's going to happen? I don't know. God will provide. How is He going to provide? That's a good question. We don't know yet, but God will provide. Here you, you you see the tension rising here. They make it to the place God had told him. He builds the altar and has the wood laying around it to start a fire. And he binds up Isaac and he lays him on the altar. 
And he takes the knife and he holds it high. And then, Abraham, Abraham, Hineni, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looks up as if it was the fullness of time had come. And there the sacrifice was made for them. Right behind them, a ram was ready to be sacrificed. So what do you do? What do you do with a story like this? Most certainly, you're not going to be called on to sacrifice your children. If you are, talk talk to one of your elders very quickly. (laughs) But we actually face this same test every day, believe it or not. The author of Hebrews notes that Abraham acted in faith, knowing that God would raise up Isaac from the dead. He writes in Hebrews 12, verse 19, he considered that God was even able to raise him, that is Isaac, from the, de- from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the test for Abraham, the test for Abraham was to live out this future faith in the present moment. Live out this future faith in the present moment. Okay, God, so what does it look like for Abraham? Okay, God, I know that you've promised me that you were going to bless all of the, all of the world through my children. Okay, well, I've got one son, Isaac, the son of the promise. One. Through him, you are going to bless the whole world. And you want me to sacrifice him. Okay. The only way out of this is not to disobey. The only way out of this is to trust God that His promises are true, that, okay, you will do this. So if if I sacrifice Him, God, I know and I trust that You will raise Him from the dead. So let me demonstrate my faith as in Your Word as I pick up this knife. For some of you, this is a call to missions. Okay, God, I don't know how all of this is going to work out. I don't know. I don't have any money, and I would like to get married, and my chances look slim if I go in the mission field. But I've heard your word, and I can't do anything but to obey. As Mike mentioned during Sunday school, some of this, it looks like sacrificial giving. Where you say, God, I... I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know you will provide. And I'm going to demonstrate my faith in you by giving beyond my means to other people in this church to help them out. For some of you, Genesis 22 is a, is a test for you. Again, not to sacrifice your children, not to go to missions, not for sacrificial giving. But when you read this, God is calling you. To forgive. You want justice because you've been wronged. But when you forgive someone, you are trusting in God. That His promises are true. That there will be true justice in the life to come. And you will wait. And you will wait for God to bring true justice 
And you will forgive them out of your heart. One of the pastors said it this way. That, that this task, that it is for all of us. And he said, if we seek to avoid the inevitable test of faith, we will never enjoy its unspeakable compensations. Can you imagine? Imagine the joy of Abraham and Isaac going back down that mountain, knowing they were faithful. Of Isaac knowing that he could have overpowered his father. He could have scuttled the whole plan. But no, he willingly went along. Imagine the, the joy that is coming out of them as they go back to these two men who are waiting for them. And they say, you're never going to believe what happened. As they go back to the rest of their family, as their children and their children's children hear about the story of faith, of how they trusted in God and followed God. You never have that joy. When you pass on the test, when you go around it, when you see someone in need, but you don't give because you you got to keep money for your Netflix subscription. Come on, right? No, you will never have this unspeakable joy unless you walk through the test and show the faith of God that everything will, we know it will be fine in heaven. But if you show that faith, in the present moment. So as we close, obviously, let's talk less about us and more about Christ. I hope you're beginning to see the overtones of what's happening here in Genesis 22, that this isn't really about Abraham and Isaac, and this really isn't about us. It can be applied to us, but it's not really about us. You have a willing son who is completely obedient to his Father. Well, that's Christ, who is willing to obey the eternal will of God the Father, even until the point of death or the point of death on the cross. Here you have Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And you can see Jesus on these in this same hill, the same place, Carrying the cross and the last steps of this Via Della Rosa up to where he was sacrificed. John 19, it says, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. Isaac was bound up for the sacrifice, and Christ is nailed to the cross. But Isaac, remember, this is just a foreshadow of what is going to happen. Isaac was unbound and taken off of the altar. But Christ is one calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaac, he walks down the mountain with the God, with his father. And Christ is placed in the tomb. But Abraham was right, brothers and sisters. He says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided Redemption has come to you, brothers and sisters. Redemption has come to you, and it's come to you through Jesus Christ. And it's come to you on the mountain of the Lord. It has been provided for you. So when you go out and you hear the voice of God calling you to faith, or calling you to act out your faith, there's only one response. Yes, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we know that it should be us who are sacrificed. In our sin, in our guilt, in our shame, God, You do not leave us there. But You sent Your own Son to climb up that mountain for us, to to be sacrificed for us so that we might be able to come into Your presence in worship and in prayer and complete joy, God. And through Him we now have every spiritual blessing. And heaven is now... Come to us through your Son and through His work, God. So we humbly thank You for that. We pray that this light will not stay in us, but that we will, as you see Abraham training up Isaac in this faith of his faith did not remain with him, but it was imparted to his own Son. God, we ask that You would bring up the children in this church to trust in You. And to believe in You, God. We give them to You. We pray this in Your Son's name. Amen.